softening the eyes, jaw. Breathing more fully. Welcome to Mystical Musings, March 19th, 2017. Now in our 14th year here in the Mile High City of Denver in the Walker Fine Art Gallery with Myron McClellan and me, Lawrence Phillips. We're here near the Civic Center heart of the city in one of the oldest of the Denver neighborhoods, the Golden Triangle, <clears throat> known for its numerous art galleries, restaurants, and neoclassical architecture. Those of us who identify as spiritual but not religious, who are non-sectarian, non-denominational, non-doctrinaire, are the fastest growing demographic of the sacred communities in America. Thank you for joining us today, creating a community of mystics, people finding unity with God, the breath of life, the gentle whisper, the great spirit. As a community of mystics who know beyond the intellect, spiritual apprehension of truths, I am because we are. I am because we are one, celebrating body and spirit. Today's mystic portal, irrational exuberance. In the turbulence, joy anyway. 
with a collective sense of humanity in America and to some extent the world being anxious and uncertain amid the rapidly evolving political and environmental situations. We need as never before to access our genetically encoded sense of joy, peace, and love. We need this daily mystic practice to help heal what's ailing us. And hey, it's springtime, a significant return offering us cyclical renewal as a bomb for the oppression of current events and unfolding planet-wide changes. With renewal comes fresh perspective, new opportunity, and new ways of living our lives, and maybe, just maybe, irrational exuberance. Thank you, Grandfather T.S. Eliot. We shall not cease from exploration, and in the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. We are arriving where we started, knowing our home for the first time. Thank you for joining us today for our 2017 Spring Equinox Mystical Musings. to think about exuberance, especially in the face of its opposite unfolding far and wide. What would be the opposite? Rational misery? <laughs> Indifference? Cynicism? Existential dread? What examples of irrational exuberance, a rejoicing for no reason other than for itself, the act of sheer rejoicing, might we draw from for our metaphorical sangha? Eagles riding the thermals? They're not going for bugs. <laughs> they just love it. Horses galloping on the plains. Dolphins, oceans leaping. One of our fundamental imprints, babies and young children playing. Our initial learning tool is joy. The gods conversing in the winds. Beethoven's ode to joy. As our hearts overflow. In Yiddish, in Yiddish overflow, it's kfelling, kfelling, your heart overflowing, kfelling. Our hearts kfell with the innate joy and exuberance of, the, of life itself. Irrational exuberance is built into the essential design 
of life itself. His Holiness the Dalai Lama says of the rare and privileged human incarnation that it is akin to a monk going to the south of India and throwing a wooden hoop into the ocean and at that very moment a dolphin jumps through the hoop. This rare occurrence is how truly privileged says His Holiness the Dalai Lama of what it is for us to be human. Says one of the greatest living spiritual adepts, some say avatar, as he is the 14th incarnation of Avalokitesvara, the Buddha of compassion. So says the Dalai Lama, who are we to argue? <laughs> In the midst of our current turbulence, politically and environmentally, Myron and I find ways to relish the gift of life, to create joy anyway in the face of these endarkening times. Our primary way collectively is mystical musings. Thank you all. Also, with our friendships and our professional practices, most especially our own relationship, which has certainly been the best 17 years of my life. <clears throat> I believe, no, even more, I realize our job here is to create love, not just in the good times, but in the difficult ones as well, especially the difficult, challenging times. How many of you are familiar with the term grok? It comes from Robert Heinlein's 1961 book, Science Fiction, Stranger in a Strange Land, chosen by the Library of Congress in 2012 as one of the 88 books that has shaped America. Grok, to understand so thoroughly that the observer becomes a part of the observed, merging, blending, the following helps me as a modern mystic to grok the utter exaltation of our status as human beings, but in contemporary and scientific terms. Our bodies, 30 to 50 trillion cells, are made up of atoms, the smallest part of us. And each atom is 99.999999 to the 12th empty space. Each atom is 99.9 .9 to the 12th empty space. And the dense parts of the atom come out of nowhere, an energy field, into particle matter, then disappearing back into nowhere, an energy field. We are endlessly physically changing from an energy life field into a partially physical form in dense matter, mostly not here. In fact, we are only 0. 0.0000, that's 0. 0.1 to the 11th physically here. <laughs> we are basically holograms <coughs> comprised of an exquisite sense of lightness, 
Hence exuberance. A radical joy that comes from getting to hop aboard the precious and rare life express. We are barely here. Fundamentally orienting energy fields coalescing around karma, intention, and love. Such is the cause for rejoicing that we are here at all, at all. We think of the three Buddhist marks of existence, impermanence, suffering, and emptiness. The emptiness that quantum physics explicates so remarkably well. Again, the core emptiness of it all. And the sublime privilege of being here in the great matrix that God is love. And then in the face of this vast emptiness, we create our lives at all. The Dalai Lama, physics, and the core of life is a certain emptiness that somehow miraculously manifests in our being here at all. The synonyms for the varieties of joyous experience include delight, great pleasure, jubilation, triumph, exultation, rejoicing, happiness, gladness, glee, exhilaration, exuberance. Euphoria, bliss, rapture, felicity, joie de vivre. In French, they have a word that some people in America appropriate, jouissance. Isn't that fabulous? The French are so great that way. Jouissance, that is a sublime joy. Jouissance, say it, jouissance. Oh, oh, it's just wonderful to hear. <laughs> such rich varieties of the experience of joy. Sometimes in order to know of which we speak and experience, we need to contemplate what seems like not joy. Sadness, anger, fear, grief. Buddha does say that life is suffering, but there is a bringing to the suffering, a willingness to feel it all. Letting go of resistance, a conscious letting go into the form of whatever life brings us. Letting go into joy, that this is life and that we're living it fully and living it at all. Joy and woe are woven fine, a clothing for the soul divine. Neath every grief and pine runs a joy with silken twine. 
Human beings are made for joy and woe. And when this we rightly know, through the world we safely go. Thank you, great-grandfather William Blake. The greatest privilege is to be, to love, often to love against great odds, to learn to love and open to and allow what we sometimes tend to avoid, what we judge to be irrationally exuberant actually creates joy in the turbulence, at least as a therapeutic practice each day, if even for five minutes find something, perhaps the infinity of your hands, perhaps Kitchen Boogie. I highly recommend Kitchen Boogie. Kitchen Boogie is just one of the greatest. Who's looking? You know? And just practicing irrational exuberance. Each of us in our very unique ways. So one more time, real slowly, like a Tai Chi. Just very gently, nice and slowly. You just create the infinity. Notice your breathing, letting this reach from your core. So your center is reaching you up and you're allowing the infinity to create the helix that is the core of our being. And for today, even indulging in a little irrational exuberance. <laughs> Namaste. <coughs> I'm so happy to see all of you, but I can't see you very well because of looking into the light. So uh, I can feel you. <laughs> and, and I think I know who's here, but I'm not sure. And I'm just going to walk down so I can know who I'm talking to. Oh, look at those radiant smiles, right? <laughs> gosh. And you know, this is like, watching that, that's like a dance. Oh, that was absolutely beautiful. So really, again, thank you for joining us because you are our community. And in these times, that's what we need is our community and connection with one another in the heart. So welcome. We're going to talk about, I am going to talk about later, moving from the old paradigm to the new. And sometimes, and that's what we're doing. And sometimes being in the middle of that can be quite miserable. It can mean struggle. However, knowing what the outcome is, that we move into a heart-based paradigm instead of a reason, mind-based paradigm, keeps us going and knowing that the contraction that we may have been feeling this month speaking for Lawrence and me and some of you, is leading to a great expansion. And both we will totally 
celebrate that expansion with you today. So we'll enter now into a meditation and I will do some music to take you into silence. Um, I'm dealing with a very sore left hand. So if you feel there's not enough bass, <laughs> you know why.
Thank you, beloved. With your spontaneous compositions, you don't play keyboard, you play our hearts. Thank you. Myron and I start our next musings as soon as we finish the last one. Letting the theme interweave, interweave in our presences. A week after we had started musing about irrational exuberance, we were heading downtown for the symphony, one of our rituals that we have loved for many years. One of our great joys. <clears throat> as soon as I stepped out of the car at the, uh, on Lawrence Street, there's the Park Central garage, some of you know that. As soon as I stepped out of the car, for the first time in 17 years of this ritual, I forgot my shoulder bag. And in the bag was all sorts of things that you would have the phones, waters, glasses. I had my sunglasses on. And I might seem like an easygoing guy, but in moments like that, I get just pissed. I'm just as <laughs> angry with myself as frustrated. Like, how could I do that? Myron, of course, was just the epitome of calm. Oh, don't worry about it, love. It's just fine. We'll make do. Meanwhile, I'm going... <laughs> <clears throat> Sometimes I just let these things go, but I was stewing a bit. And as we stepped out of the elevator, I don't know if some of you know this place, but it is cavernous. It's a gigantic foyer. I mean, it's easily a football field in length. Gigantic. At the front near the street, there's a desk, and there was a woman sitting there. And for the first time ever in 17 years, she speaks in an incredibly loud voice that is echoing throughout the entire cavernous field. Good evening, gentlemen. And I thought, huh, who am I to say otherwise? Yeah, yeah, it's a good evening. From great-grandfather Rumi, we keep turning like the sky with the love of the moon. Only God knows our business. Considering the things that happen in the world, we wonder how smart people can keep their minds in their heads. Yet, they wonder about our exuberance. As mystics, as contemplatives, we need our access to our sanctuaries, our refuges, more and more these days. One of my necessary refuges, because of my somewhat pessimistic perspective, is that I find solace and peace in intentionally contemplating the positive. But not just the myriad good things that happen amongst our humanity day in and day out, but the mass positive, at least the potentially mass positive things that seem now required for our society 
to go beyond the very negative divisiveness and seriously deal with the existential threats that we face with climate change, nuclear proliferation, as well as massive population displacements and looming medical epidemics. I am not going to speak specifically about policies or particular politicians, as it is always felt to Myron and me outside the realm of mystical musings, with our focus more on the spiritual and less on the, well, I was going to say worldly, but then that's not true, because we are frequently integrating emotions and the motions of daily life as part of our mystic ballywick, as suburban mystic home holders, but in general, we steer clear of discussing politics in the musings and will continue to do so. But what is to me incipient evidence for positive transformation are insights of how our extreme divisiveness have come to pass and what is now being done to work creatively in a seemingly post-fact society to actively cultivate a civically engaged community. And herein emerges abounding mystic metaphors, revealing how the glorious mystic urge of love and union, even in a situation that on some levels looks and seems hopelessly political and mundane and polarized, but how love and union are being manifest even in the buzzing matrix of the global internet manifest now by exploring what has evolved now in the extremes as our bubbles, our inclusive-exclusive filters. Not a new notion. We've had a sense of this for a number of years, but there actually has been done some academic research in the recent months indicating we live in our filters, we live in our bubbles an aspect of our shadow selves. And thus, our evolving bubble filters are therefore worthy of this month's evidence for mass positive transformation. Technology and the social networks are huge forces coursing over our planet right now. As home-holding mystics, as opposed to, say, the mendicants, the sadhus, the solitary forest mystics, our practices, our contemplations, our daily life experiences are infused with the collective spirit greatly enhanced, for better and for worse, by the media. As mystics, we cultivate faith that all is truly well, even if it appears otherwise, and that it will all work out, often in unseen, often initially unfelt ways as we are awakening to new depths and heights of the mystic experience reflected in the collective sense of our outer culture. The filter bubble explains how so many of us missed what was coming with our election in November, both here at home as well as in England, Italy, really throughout much of Europe to some degree or another. The filter bubble some have said the filter bubbles are destroying democracy. Recent academic research confirms that we live in our own bubbles in terms of our relationships to how we access news, especially. Journalists, as well, live in their own bubbles. Pollsters live in their own bubbles. We are all 
to some very great extent, living in our own bubbles. One of the things we know as mystics is that separation is really an illusion. We are all one. So to examine the bubble is revealing of how we generate separation, illusion, a form of shadow. Let us not shirk from exploring the mega memes just because the lesser memes involved are distasteful to us. We must rise to the task of facing our shadow, facing our fears, feeling beyond what we thought we'd have to, breathing more fully into presence as a core mystic practice. Facebook, Twitter, amongst others, lock users into a personalized feedback loop, each with its own news sources, cultural touchstones, and political inclinations. We like these places, as do the media, keeping us clicking from one self-affirmation to another. But with one of the most divisive presidential campaigns ever, it is not as inviting as before to be so self-contained. So media companies are pivoting, offering us online options at breaking the bubbles. Our biases are one of those human issues that are often relegated to shadow. We know they're there, but we don't pay them much mind. But social media are beginning to use pleasing visuals and fun interactive quizzes to encourage us to get outside our biased bubble. There's an iPhone app that gamifies reaching out politically. There are apps that assist with reaching out but not actually having to talk with a real person. <laughs> PBS offers a quiz that rates your relationship with mainstream American culture, giving real American points for having evangelical friends, eating at IHOP, and watching Dr. Phil. Twitter is offering a digital product that replaces your usual Twitter feed by that of a random anonymous user of a different political persuasion. The news app BuzzFeed is testing outside your bubble, giving opinions across the web a neutral platform by taking the often emotional comments, removing from them their combative context, and rephrasing them as cogent, dispassionate bullet points. Facebook with its almost two billion members, is offering escape your bubble. A journalist is aggregating right-wing perspectives for left-leaning audiences. Another news app, Slate, is doing virtually the same thing. A liberal TV journalist has just started a show shepherding listening through conversations with conservative guests. <clears throat> These ingenious solutions diminish the emotional impact of opposing political positions and therefore the divisiveness and thus the separation from the union of now, here, in, this. Facebook is leading with a manifesto, building global community. As recently as last summer, Facebook feeds were focusing on the unique, the personal, and the subjective, which was fine when we were just connecting with our high school buddies. But with over 60% of Americans now getting their news on social media, 
Facebook is now quoting Abraham Lincoln and that the Facebook feeds are oriented toward building a civically engaged community. With the help of social media and technology, the tribal, us versus them, bubble is beginning to pop. Hence, this month's evidence for mass positive transformation. Namaste, shalom, Christ be with you, assalamu alaikum, adieu, adios, aloha, namaste. We honor the place in you wherein the entire universe dwells. We honor the place in you which is of love, of truth, of light and dark, and of peace. As you are in that place in you, and we are in that place in us, we are all becoming more and more filled with joy. Namaste. Exuberance is not something we generate. Exuberance is spontaneous, happens in the moment, cannot create exuberance. It comes to us. What we can do is allow it or disallow it. And as we grow, we have more and more welcoming energy to exuberance and irrational, meaning spontaneous exuberance. So exuberance is something we allow. Now, as you know, I believe and experience within myself that we are in a major paradigm shift. The old paradigm, which in the 60s we referred to as the Piscean Age, was all about how to effort and get things done. You can't effort and get exuberance. But there is such an emphasis on creation. We thought a, a lot about we create our own realities and we think about creating what goes on instead of receiving what is there and what is always there. So in the Aquarian age, which we are entering now, our prayers become, I accept 
from your great spirit, joy, exuberance, wisdom, unconditional love, joy without measure. I am allowing that. I am accepting it. So that's how we become active in the art of receiving. Such an emphasis over here on struggle and effort and the 10 ways you can be successful. And you go through the list and it's, oh, okay, this is the way I can be successful. You're already successful. We're already awake. We're already accomplished. That's what we know in this new age that is dawning. We don't need to effort. That's the old paradigm. We need to open ourselves to receive. And as I say, you can't generate exuberance. You also can't generate grace by definition. You can't, of your own, generate love. Love happens. And so we move into this time opening our arms to receive. I have had this practice for many years, so I've probably told you about it before. But in the morning, I lie on my sacred couch and I say, I am open today to receiving grace beyond measure, guidance in every little moment of my day, joy, the thrill of feeling unity. I accept it. Over here, is the illusion of control. It is an illusion. Just try to control your life. <laughs> Don't take my word for it. <laughs> and over here, it is knowing that life is always blessing us. Always blessing us. Over here, there are our basic feeling that can be with us all the time is anxiety, fear. This is a fear-based, Piscean age is fear-based. Aquarian age is love-based. The Piscean age was very intellectual and was all about the life of the, uh, of the mind and of spending a lot of time trying to answer unanswerable questions. That's what theology and metaphysics has been about for thousands of years. So do we know God by reason or do we know God by revelation? That's one of the things we've tried to figure out. And there are volumes written on this. 
volumes. It gives you a headache. And for all of these thousands of years that we've been doing this, we do not have an answer. So my recommendation is give up the questions. <laughs> Don't go there. They can't be answered. They can't be answered. Over here is reason. It's thinking your way toward God. So that in the Middle Ages, Thomas Aquinas in Christianity, Moses Maimonides in Judaism, Shankara in Hinduism, and Averroes in Islam, all wrote proofs for the existence of God, as if you could say, oh, it totally makes sense, and then you're there. It couldn't put you further away from there. I lost some of my hair in graduate school addressing these questions that don't have answers. So I am really looking forward to be more fully in this paradigm of allowing and accepting and open my, opening myself over here, the Piscean Age is built on the mind. Over here, the Aquarian Age is built on the heart. Over here, we go to the mind to solve problems. And there's a part of our mind that just loves to solve problems, and therefore, it creates them. <laughs> it does, honestly. It's always creating problems. So we can, it can figure out. It can use its mind, its mental power, to figure out things. That's reason and rationality. Over here, instead of reason, it's revelation. We accept what's being revealed to us in any moment. Over here, we are very much alive in the moment, and we don't hang on to what we used to know. But open ourselves up for spontaneous exuberance spontaneous wisdom. Over here, the watchword has been separation and competition. So, and being better than, comparing. We're seeing that writ large in the world today. Really. It's about conflict, about competition, about my country's better than your country. So many countries are saying that. It's separation. It's like Roger Stone saying, we want our own babies, not your babies. Everyone is our baby. Every child on the planet is ours. It's ours. We are one with those babies. We connect with them. So over here, the competition, the reliance on ego, which is the instrument of separation, fades away 
as we move into unity. Duality, unity. And that's the new paradigm. Unity. Unity, when we practice it, feels like love. And that's what it is. Unity and love are essentially the same thing. And it is in that unity that we find exuberance. Where I find exuberance more than any place else is with my partner at home. I'm exuberantly feeling my love for him. No, I always love you. I just don't like you sometimes. <laughs> so often there is exuberance when we are with someone we love. When our hearts open and we're with someone we love, there is a feeling of exuberance. It opens our heart, hearts and allows a, that great energy of exuberance, which is at the same time joy and praise and gratitude and ecstasy. And that's what we're moving toward. And that's what we're, it's all available to us now. There's nothing we have to do except invite it and be open to it and allow it. So there's a great difference between these two paradigms. Now at the moment, I experience myself as straddling both. My heart is over here, and I'm, that's what I always, I mean, how long have I been preaching unity, right? And love-based reality. But over here, I'm still in this world of trying to figure it out. <laughs> this world of, of the individual. This world of concentrating on myself. when I want to move over into unity and concentrate on you. So exuberance often happens in the I-thou situation. When you're with a friend, when you're with someone you love, there is that deep, powerful joy. And there is exuberance by yourself. Oh, technically you're never by yourself. But exuberance with you can come from nowhere and not be related to anything. So yesterday morning, I woke up with just beautiful exuberance. That went on for 
hours before it faded, before it was too much for my ego to accept. <laughs> Where did that exuberance come from? I do not know why, where it comes from. Now, if I'm fully over here, which I certainly was in graduate school, I ask myself, why? Where did that exuberance come from? What's causing that exuberance? Did something trigger it? I do not ask the question, why? That's over here. And I don't want to do that. The, the why question, we always make up the answer to it. So it just doesn't matter to ask why. That just is a, a buzzkill. <laughs> always buzzkill. So I find myself in my meditations wanting to bring together the head and the heart. And I am only rarely successful in feeling that. But the more I practice, the more it will be there so that I rely on my heart and on what I feel to make my decisions. I don't rely on my head and make lists of pros and cons. Should I? Should I not? I, I mean, I've done that so much in my life. And then I get at the end of it and I realize that my decision just came. It didn't come as a result of all of this. So in the new paradigm, we make our choices and decisions from our heart. Now, here are all of the reasons that I cannot accept your invitation for lunch. <laughs> and I have to go through that and make things up. So that's a head-based decision. When I look to my heart, I instantly get the answer. I instantly get, how am I feeling? It's so much less effort to be in the heart and making the choices from the heart, all the choices, even the small ones, than from the figuring it out mind. This is really, um, inefficient. Now, I do not want to say that we don't need the mind. We certainly do. But about two months ago, or maybe six weeks ago, or longer, I found that I could not read books in my field. I couldn't read metaphysics. I just couldn't do it, and I didn't really know why. I could not make myself do that. And it was liberating to just read literary fiction. And then Yetta, with whom I have a two-person book club, 
said, you know, I know that you said you weren't reading metaphysics anymore, but I have this book for you. <laughs> it's called A Course of Love and purports to be the next generation of the Course in Miracles. A Course in Miracles, in those first pages, I was just, what does this mean? Now, the Course in Miracles ultimately is about living a life of love. It's ultimately about forgiving yourself and others. It's ultimately about our innocence. And we needed that. And in those days, our mind needed to work. But we're past that now. And A Course in Love is about allowing, not generating. And it's pretty simple, pretty simple, to allow what is and what is before us and to allow it in love. And that, to me, is the essence of the new paradigm. So in the moment, we have one foot in each paradigm, and that's fine. But as we practice, as we do our spiritual practice of opening the heart to receive, of opening our hearts to ourselves, opening our hearts to the Great Spirit, opening our hearts to one another, opening our hearts to beauty and wonder, joy, and magnificence. That's the paradigm I want to live in. I feel that paradigm when I'm with you guys. And I also feel rational exuberance when I'm with you. So thank you for being here. Namaste.
I invite you to uncross legs, arms, hands. Stay crossed if you wish. It's okay, just an invitation. To open the breath, to let the breath be deeper, at least four counts in, four counts out. Mouth open or closed, doesn't matter. Just a deeper breath, letting go of jaw and eyes as we open to embodied prayer. What follows are mystic gemstones derived from our collective wisdom designed to sparkle our hearts. So we don't get too anchored in thinking mind, attributions for these slightly amended mystic gems are available on the table behind me or by email. Let us continue evoking presence, breathing more fully, invoking our inner sensing, allowing the shimmer of deepened presence. Embodied prayer is an opportunity for allowing the prayers inherent in the gems of our collective wisdom to wash over and through you, cleansing, blessing, releasing, merging, rippling, rippling out throughout the world. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, we are presenting our requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guards our hearts and our minds. Participating joyfully in the sorrows of the world, we cannot cure the sorrows but we are choosing to live in joy. Joy is the simplest form of gratitude. He or she who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy, but she who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. Joy is prayer. Joy is strength. Joy is love. Joy is a net of love. Being Irish, he had an abiding sense of tragedy which sustained him through temporary periods of joy. <laughs> Fear less, hope more, eat less, chew more, whine less, breathe more, talk less, say more, love more and all good things will be yours. Finding a place inside where there's joy, 
as the joy burns out pain. The marvelous richness of human experience would lose something of rewarding joy if there were no limitations to overcome. The hilltop hour would not be so, would not be half so wonderful if there were no dark valleys to traverse. Helen Keller. The day is coming when after harnessing the winds, the tides and gravitation, we are harnessing for God the energies of love. And on this day, for the second time in the history of the world, humans are discovering fire. Namaste.